0: So I want to invite you this morning to take your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2, no, 3. We are moving our way through the book of Philippians this morning. Uh, We are discovering joy in the midst of chaotic, turbulent times. And Paul exemplifies this type of joy for us through his writings uh, of this letter of the book of Philippians. So we found it to be very timely for us going through many of the things we all find ourselves going through. I've, I've even found myself just uh, the last week or so kind of heavy hearted just with the whole, you know, I've done well pretty much through most of the, the COVID thing. And I mean, I'm still doing, I'm coping with COVID. How about that? But uh, I just realized, man, I'm just kind of... You know, just kind of, let's go on, man. Let's get this thing going. Let's get back to doing life. And I know it's challenging to us in so many ways, but, but Paul exemplifies for us that we have a joy that's not based on our circumstances. It's not based on what the latest news stories are. It is based on God's gift to us. And so we've been defining joy this way. Joy is, well, let me get back to my notes here. Joy is the... God-given sense, in fact, I want us all to say it together, joy is the God-given sense of contentment in spite of my circumstances. So joy is not happy. If I ask you this morning if you're happy, some of you are going to raise a hand, some of you are not going to raise a hand, some of you are going to raise a hand hoping you'll get happy raising your hand, some of you are going to raise your hand just so everybody around you thinks you're happy because you're at church and you're supposed to be happy. But happiness is different than joy. Joy does not change with circumstances. Happiness changes with our attitude concerning our circumstances around us. So Paul writes about this great joy. And when we get to chapter 3, he now talks about the joy of righteousness. Now this can be a little technical this morning because we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go a little deeper into this idea and this understanding of the righteousness that... We have in Christ Jesus, and so I got a lot of scriptures. They'll be on the overhead for you, but, I, but but kind of stay connected, if you will, because uh, we want to we want to discover the freedom and the joy that there is in realizing that no matter what's happening around me out here, here I am right with God, and everything else then is right, and that's where our joy comes from. The key verse of chapter three. Uh, would, uh, chapter 3 for this idea of righteousness would be verse 9 right here. And Paul writes and he says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So we're going to talk a little bit about what this righteousness that we have in Christ is and The importance of it and the freedom that we have in it. So what does it mean to be made righteous? To be made righteous simply means to be the quality of being right with God. Or simply said, it is in a right standing with God. When you hear the word, you see the word righteous. Uh, God, the scriptures say God is a righteous God. That means God is right, right? Right? How many times can I say right today, Craig? I mean, he's just right, right? He says, says, I am. And there's no wavering. There's no no sin. There's no failure. There's no fault in Jehovah God. He is righteous. Scriptures say Jesus Christ, the righteous Son of God, Christ was right with the Heavenly Father. He was in a right standing. So we're going to talk about this understanding of righteousness this morning. And Paul's going to give us three principles in these first nine verses of chapter three. Principles about righteousness. My prayer through this week has been that you will find incredible freedom in your relationship to Jesus by understanding the power of this righteousness that Christ offers us. So freeing. So my prayer is that you'll catch that this morning. So the first first one this morning is this, the first principle. Righteousness is our greatest need. Righteousness is the greatest need you and I have in this life. We need a lot of things. We're needy people. But what we need above all is righteousness. Because without righteousness, we, we can't live with God today. We can't live with God in the future through eternity. So it's our greatest need. How needful are we of righteousness? Well, Romans 3 verse 10 says this, There is no one righteous, not even one. You're not righteous on your own. hate to break that news to you, but you're not the the first person righteous on your own. Paul says there are none. He says then, so the condition then is this, that all of us have sinned. Because we are not righteous, because we are unrighteous, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So capture this for just a moment. You and I are born with a sin nature. We've inherited that from our forefathers, Adam and Eve. And when we are given the first opportunity on this earth to choose our way, or God's way, our first choice is always our way. That's the power of the sin nature, to always choose our rule over God's rule. That's what sin is, by the way. Sin is self-rule. So we're not born righteous, and we can't get righteous on our own. So righteousness is the greatest need that we possess, because without righteousness, we can't live with God now. We can't live with God in the future. And the problem with this sin nature that dominates our lives is this, Romans 6.23. The wages, the payoff of that sinful nature is death. Death, separation. It's talking about spiritual death, eternal separation from God for eternity in hell. A place reserved that God didn't create man for hell and didn't create hell for man. He created it for the fallen angels. But then when man fell, there came this place that an unrighteous person cannot stand in the presence of God for a moment, much less eternity. So the wages of our sin is this eternal separation from God. So here's the problem. We are going to die separated eternally from God because of our sin nature unless we are made righteous. The problem is there are none of us who are righteous, but righteousness is exactly what Jesus brings us. Righteousness is who Jesus was and it's what He does. For us, We're going we're to dive into that a little deeper in, in just a moment. But in this understanding of our need for righteousness, let me, let me illustrate it this way. The word righteous is a, it's a legal term scripturally in the Bible. And the word righteous means to, uh, to be in right standing, but it, it's a legal term where a judge makes a decision and declares that a person is right. They are without guilt. They are without shame. They are without condemnation. They are faultless. And who says so? The judge. The judge makes that ruling. And nobody can fight that. Nobody can argue that. Once the judge has made their ruling, then that person is is innocent. So forward then to how God does that with us. And we have this term called justification. Everybody say that big word with me. Justification. Justification is what Jesus has now done for us. He has made us righteous and he has justified us. As we would stand before the great judge, God, we are declared innocent because of our faith. In Jesus Christ. What did Paul say in verse 9? My faith in Christ has made me righteous, put me in a right standing. And so to be justified means that God now looks and says, You are guiltless, you are without fault, your record is clean, you are in a right standing with God. Now you can live with God right now and in eternity. Dry throat, I promise. That's all that was, dry throat. Don't anybody get upset or worried. Justification. So Jesus has made us righteous, and he has declared that we are now without sin. How? By our faith in him. So we read the verses just a moment ago that said, the wages of our sin is death, and we've all fallen short of God's glory. One of the great mysteries that troubles our mind is when we think about, okay, so pastor, you're telling me I can be right with God even though I'm a vile sinner. And it doesn't make sense to our natural mind. How, you would say, could I be made right with God when I'm so lost and so separated from Him because of my unholiness and my unrighteousness? And again, it all goes back to This judge. This judge, the just judge, God loves you. He loves you. John 3, 16. God so loved the world. God so loved you that he gave his only son. So that you wouldn't perish, but that you could have everlasting life with him. That's the love of God. While we were still sinners... God loved us so much that he sent Christ to die for us while we were still in our sin. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing can separate us from the love. Sin separates us from God, but he still loves us. And he loves us so much that he decided that he would take care of our sin problem for us, so he sent his righteous son, Jesus. Jesus has become our mediator now. So when we stand before this judge, God... We have a mediator. We have one who pleads for us because he bled for us. So God looks at what Jesus did on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, here's what took place. He took your punishment. When our sin deserves to be punished and we realize that's what God should do to us, he should just punish us forever. Jesus took that punishment. Isaiah prophesied it. He said, that, uh, that, he said that, the, that by his wounds we would be healed. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that was ours was placed upon him. In a few moments, we're going to take communion together. And that bread that you hold in your hand reminds us of the the body of Christ, that he came to this earth, but but it reminds us that his body was broken. The beating that Jesus took was for the punishment of our sin. And then he died. Why? Because our sin requires death. The wages of sin we saw is death. So Jesus died, not for his sin, he died for my sin. And in dying for my sin, he covers my sin with his blood. Jesus, the only righteous one, dies for me. The Father looks at his sacrifice and says, I accept the obedience of my son Jesus in his death on the cross. So when I put my faith in Jesus, Jesus becomes my mediator. I'm not righteous on my own. Righteousness is my greatest need. I'm not righteous on my own, but Jesus is righteous. And because I have put my faith in him, I am made right. Because the Father looks at the Son, and the Son mediates on my behalf. And so God looks at us now through Christ, if we've put our faith in Christ. And He doesn't see us unrighteous. He sees us in a right standing with Him. And here's where I pray you find the freedom this morning is that you're, you're right with God if, you're, if you put your faith in Christ. There is now no guilt. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That ought to be freeing to you this morning to know that no matter what the circumstances our life are around you, you're right with God because of Christ. So righteousness, it's our greatest need. We can't walk with God now. We can't walk with God through eternity without it. But here's the second principle Paul gives us, and that is this. Righteousness is our greatest problem. It's not only our greatest need, but it's our, it's our biggest, greatest problem. Paul talks about the works of the flesh. Trying to earn God's favor by works, by doing things that cause God to like us or to love us more or to accept us. When I say that righteousness is our greatest problem, what we're talking about is self-righteousness. We're all prone to it. You see, in some way, all of us in creation know that something's out of alignment in our lives. We're aware that we're sinners, but we don't many times know to call it sin. We don't even know to call it that we're sinners. We just know, humankind just knows something's out of alignment. Ecclesiastes says this, God has placed eternity in the hearts of mankind. Every man, woman, boy, and girl born has this understanding, has some sense internally that something's out of alignment, something's missing case in point. You say, Pastor, not, not everybody. But case in point. Take parts of the world that are remote. People living in remote areas of our world where, where uh, there's no modern thing. You know, I mean, they're just, they're just like way back there uh, in, the, in, the, in the forest or, or wherever their tribe lives and, and they have no access to people. They have no access to modern things this, that, or the other. But did you know that every culture of people always has a God. You'll always find that they're worshiping and depending on something. They'll put a pole up in the middle of their community or their village and that'll represent their God. Doesn't mean they know Jehovah God and we still got to get the message of Jesus Christ to them like Paul would say standing in that great arena that day, and say, look, as I was walking through your town, I saw all these idols, and you have this idol to a god, the unknown god. They had so many idols, and he says, you're, you're so concerned about various gods and having a god for everything that you've even got a god you don't even know what he does in case you've missed one, etc., cetera, et cetera, gods. He said, let me tell you who that god is. So every culture creates a god. Why? Because they, every one of us knows somewhere, this place where God said eternity in our hearts, there's this empty place. And, and we know something above us has to fill that. And so we look and we make and we create. Or we come to God through Jesus Christ. But we all have this. And so we all have this propensity to create our own righteousness called self-righteousness. self-righteousness to create our ways in which we say our God our deity appreciates us and loves us and will accept us if I do this and if I do that he will and in Christianity we have the same thing in the Jewish faith in the Old Testament you saw it you saw that they were relying on the the works of the Jewish law those were given to direct them and to, to steer them But that's not what made them righteous, it was faith, it was faith, and so before you and I came to Christ, maybe we didn't even know that much, we we weren't interested in in Jesus, but if somebody mentioned hell, we certainly didn't want to go to hell, so then someone might say, well, do you believe in Jesus, well, I don't know that much about Jesus, but, but do you think you're going to go to heaven if you die? And so many times we and people today still do it. Well, yeah, I, I I think I'll go to heaven. Really? Okay, so why? Not being facetious. Why? Why? What? What indicates to you that you get you will go to heaven when you die? Well, I I'm trying to live the best version of me that I can. I uh, I'm trying to do right by people around me. I don't, uh, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I, I never have dated girls that do. Um, I'm a really deeply spiritual person. You see, we create a list, and we all created our list before we came to Christ, and where I hope we find some freedom today is if you've created a list since you came to Christ, you need to, you need to tear up the list, and you need to find freedom in Jesus today. Because you see, our self-righteous acts will not help us. Watch what Paul says here. I got totally off base here. I have no idea where I am on this little gadget right here. But we've got a few verses we're going to look through right here. But going all the way back to verse 1 of chapter 3, watch what Paul says. He says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. So Paul has written about righteousness before he has written a bunch about righteousness. When we studied Romans a couple of summers ago, Uh, The whole book of Romans is summed up as righteousness in Christ. That's the theme of the entire 15 chapters of Romans. So then Paul says this in verse number 2. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ. Stop for a moment and consider this. Paul uses an imagery that they would be very familiar with. In, a, in an ancient culture uh, such as in the city of Philippi in, in, in Rome and in, in Jerusalem and all these places, they, the, the towns and the, the cities, the villages would have uh, great influx of, of stray dogs just, just running around. Nobody wanted to take care of them. Nobody was claiming them as a pet. They're just dogs. They're scavengers. They're out to get what they can, find what they can. They'll fight for what they need to survive in the streets. They're just, they're, they're dogs. And so Paul's using this image and he's, he's creating it as, a, as a, uh, a vile, as a mean, as a vicious, cold-hearted type of an individual when he uses this idea of these dogs. And he's talking about false teachers. People who are claiming that they're Christians and they, they believe that once you follow Christ, you've got to obey all of the Jewish laws in order to really earn God's grace. So they're, they're, they're disrupting the gospel. Paul talks about them in, in chapter 1. He says, look, there's some guys preaching the gospel out of wrong motive, and they're doing it to try to hurt me. So he he sees that these false teachers are so wretched that he calls them dogs. And he says they're mutilators of the flesh. What he's talking about is they're coming along to Christians saying, Oh, so you're a Christ follower. Well, that's cool. High fives. But you realize now that you're a Christian following Jesus, you have to now follow all of the Old Testament laws in order to truly be saved. And the first law you have to follow is the law of circumcision. Paul says mutilators of the flesh. The physical act of circumcision is not going to save anybody. If it's on your list, take it off the list because it's not going to save you. So Paul refers to these false teachers as dogs. And and then he goes on in in verse 3 and he says, "Uh, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in, in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Now, watch what Paul's about to do. He's getting ready to start outlining his list that he had, that he thought made him right with God. He says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh or in works, well, get in line, buddy. I have more than you. Verse 5, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. I took it. He says, on the eighth, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, I'm of the tribe, I'm of the the status of Benjamin. He says, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am the poster child of what a Hebrew is. That's how deep into this thing I was. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee of the elite class of religious men. As for zeal, get this, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law, my, 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 I was faultless. That's Paul's list. Paul says, anybody think they've got enough righteous works to get to heaven? Let me tell you, you can't top my list. But now, Paul came to his senses. He had to get knocked off his high horse. But he came to his senses on the road to Damascus. Watch this, verse 7. But whatever were gains, whatever any of this was to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, I came to Christ and I lost my list. I consider everything a loss. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of now knowing Jesus Christ my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I gave all of that up. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. He says, I consider them garbage. Some of your translations say refuse. Let me, let me just say this. The modern translators, that's the new in, international version I'm reading from there. All of your modern translations are going to use the word garbage or rubbish. Can I just tell you what the word really means in, in the original language? It means done. And it is a specific word referencing human excrement. Now let me just say this. It is not lost on your pastor this morning that last week I had an illustration about toilet paper. And today we're talking about this. I just give it to you. <laughs> If you think I've gone over the edge, just read chapter 3 again because it's right there. If you read the King James Version, they still use the word dung. They didn't replace it with the word garbage. So you see what Paul has just said, and you're saying, Pastor, that's absolutely disgusting. And God says, yes, and amen, it is. Paul wants people to understand how crazy vile and ridiculous our works are in the eyes of God to earn our salvation he says it's it's like refuge it's like human excrement so Paul says you know I was I was doing all these things and I was I was giving God all of these things and and they were nothing but but disgusting to him. That's what Paul's trying to say this morning. So we go around doing all of our good works thinking we're being saved because, well, we're, we're, we're trying to live right by people. We're trying to do the best version of us, yada, yada, yada. And God says, look, oh, man, I, I don't no. Not me. It's not for me. You can't bring that stuff up in here. the list that we create paul came to understand his list could not cancel out his sins he came to understand that his list could not make him right with god he came to understand that it was like refuse in the eyes of god now i know that sounds somewhat somewhat harsh but paul is trying to communicate the most profound of truths, and that is your works will not save you, but Jesus will. It's so our first principle. Righteousness is our greatest need. Second principle, righteousness is our greatest problem. Our self-righteousness gets in the way. But thankfully, there's one third principle that Paul gives us, and it's this. Righteousness is our greatest gift. Righteousness is your greatest gift. Verse 9 again, he says, And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Do you know your righteousness, it can't come from you. We've already established that. Your righteousness before God comes from God. That's his grace that to stand before Him and to stand right with Him requires His righteousness, He's willing to give you His righteousness so you can do that. That's where Christ went to the cross. And so where righteousness is our greatest need and it happens to also be our greatest problem, when you put all of that next to the grace of God, righteousness is our greatest gift. Because God's gift of grace to us allows us now the opportunity to walk with God now and walk with God through eternity. And you are free from the guilt and the shame of sin. You are free from the yoke of slavery to the law and to works of the flesh. Christian, you are free. When you worship with Skittles and with the Victory Kids, you got freedom to worship. Okay, that was kind of silly. I can't believe I just did that. But you got this freedom in Christ. You don't walk under condemnation. Satan wants to bring your record back up in front of the judge. He's the prosecuting attorney, if you will. And he wants to bring your list back up before God and say, God, you're a right and righteous, just God. You have to treat everyone fairly. And Mark is nothing more than a heathen sinner reprobate. Here's his list of all of the things he's done. And Jesus stands as my defense, my mediator. And he says, oh, but but righteous, just father. Marcus put his faith in what I offered him from the cross. And the judge says, my son, his sacrifice was good enough for me. It's good enough for Mark. Mark's sin is removed. Mark's record is wiped clean. Satan, the accuser, as we're told in the book of revelation the accuser of us has nothing to stand on because as far as God is concerned, when he opens the books, There's my name. And there's not any sin listed below it. It has been cleaned. I don't know what might rob your joy in your walk with the Lord. But whatever it is, it's robbing. It's got to be brought under the blood of Jesus. If there's still some sinful habit, get it under the blood of Jesus. Jesus. If there's not a sinful habit, but you just keep replaying everything you ever did in your mind, get it under the blood of Jesus. And get this truth into your understanding. It's God's gift to you. Ephesians, Paul tells us in in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, It is by grace, God's gift to you. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You see, when we read Paul's list a while ago, he was boasting about all those things. Not, not that he was doing that, but he used to boast in those things. But then he discovered, no, God's grace. God's grace. You are saved because God's love for you and the gift that he gives you of righteousness. You're not righteous because of who you are. You are righteous because of who Christ is in you. And that's your freedom.